and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. Horizon Church is a Christ-centered, word-based and spirit-led church. We are so happy to bring this week's message to you. And on behalf of our pastors, Brad and Ali Bonhomme and the Horizon Church team, we pray it's a blessing to you. Well, in case you weren't at conference, um, I'll just, I'll introduce myself a little. Um, I'm from Perth. Uh, Western Australia and from Urban Church. I bring greetings from Urban Church. That's the church my husband, um, Steve, and I planted out of Perth Christian Life Centre nine years ago, and we were there for 13 years. And so uh, that just gave us this incredible um, foundation. Uh, And church planting has been um, a journey and a half, uh, the most rewarding the most challenging journey of our lives, but we wouldn't have it any other way. And I bring greetings from my family as well. I think I have a a photo there maybe um, of my family. I have three children. I have um, Declan who is 18. I have Abby who is 15, about to turn 16, and Madeline who is 12, about to turn 13. So we are deep in teenage land. And just like church planting, it is rewarding and challenging (laughs) all at the same time. Um, But they are the joys of of my life. And I am, I've got this kind of weird dichotomy in in my life. I explain this at conference as well. I love to study. I love to search out the deep things of God. I love the word. I love the history of the word. I love um, the history of our faith. And so that led me to do uh, a doctor of ministry through Fuller Seminary. And the area that I looked at was spirituality and our spiritual formation and how we grow in our knowledge of and experience of and relationship with the Spirit of God. And so alongside that kind of academic bent, I also love all things Holy Spirit. I love all things that I can't explain. I think because I I am naturally such a heady person, I love it when God just comes and I'm like, I can't explain that. And I love that I can't explain that. I love those moments of prophecy, of miracles, of healing. I love those moments when, you know, both corporately and especially uh, privately, when you just are so acutely aware that you are in the presence of something just so other, so holy, so beautiful, and yet so intimately present. The presence of one who knows me, the presence of one who sees me, the presence of one who created me, who whispers promises into my ear, and you can just sit there in that place forever and ever. I love that. I love that. That's me. So I have this academic bent, want to understand it, want to dive deep, and this Holy Spirit bent when I love that I don't understand it and I just want more of that. And apparently that's a little bit unusual, but that's okay. I'm, I'm okay to be unusual. And over the last few days, we have been unpacking that theme of, of dream again. And um, we've heard some incredible, incredible messages. And Last night, Pastor Mark uh, talked about Psalm 23 and the Lord is my shepherd and the journey that we go on. And as he was sharing that, I thought, this is incredible because my heart for this morning was to unpack 
some more of our journey, some more of our spiritual journey. And so God has just weaved these messages together over these last few days. And you can see the themes that have been coming through. And so the Spirit of God has been all over, all over this last few days. And it's, it's, been, a, it's been a joy to be here. The other thing I just really felt to share, um, you know, as a church, I just have this sense that this really is a family there really is true and rich and deep relationship among you as a community. And can I say, that's actually really unusual. It shouldn't be, but it, it's not necessarily the norm. And so this is not just a place where you, you come on a Sunday and do your thing. There, are, there is community that happens all throughout the week. And so if you are feeling a little bit isolated and a little bit lonely, I, I want to suggest that's the strategy of the enemy. Because there is a lot of opportunity here to really lock in and be part of a family, to, to be known and to be seen. And so lean into that. Amen? Amen. Amen. So dreams, dreaming again. Dreams give us this prophetic kind of energy that we need on our spiritual journey. They're the fuel that we need to perceive. What is it, God, that you are doing? What is it that you want to do? And how have you offered us an invitation to partner with you to see the fulfillment of this dream. You know, sometimes we only get a glimpse of what God is doing or what He wants to do. But as we begin to see it, it kind of beckons us forward towards the more that's always there. We will never exhaust the knowledge of God. We will never exhaust the exploration of His kingdom, which means we must never stop dreaming. Amen? Dreams are an essential part of our journey with Christ, the way that we travel through this life, living a with God kind of life. God is with us as we travel through life. And many Christian spiritual theologians sum up this journey as a pilgrimage, right? A pilgrimage upon the earth. That view is supported by Psalm 84, which speaks of the blessing over the one who has set their heart on pilgrimage. The blessing is there because they understand that their walk on earth is, is temporal, but it's done in light of an eternal, never-changing, never-ceasing reality. And so pilgrimage is a core image when we speak about the spiritual life and our journey on earth. Speaking of pilgrimages, I love to travel. I love to go on pilgrimages to other lands, not necessarily the ones where, you know, you, you camp out and you walk along uh, the Camino, although I'd like to do that. I like to pilgrimage to five-star hotels and things like that. But anyway, I love, love, love going to other places. I have got some favourite places in the world that I love to visit. I like, you know, exploring new places, the adventure, the fulfilment, the fun, the discovery of being in a new place is something I really, really enjoy. But when it comes to travel, particularly travel for, for leisure, there's one form of holiday or travel I just don't get the appeal of. And that is a cruise. <laughs> Why would you want to spend your entire holiday on board a vessel taking you to places rather than actually be in that place, right? The destination when you are on a cruise 
is the boat itself. It's not a physical place, although I know you do get off every now and then and walk around actual places. But the majority of the time, you are on a journey on the water. People who love cruises tell me it is the best, greatest holiday you'll ever have. Are there any cruise lovers in this place this morning? Wow, you'll... Wow. No judgment. (laughs) Everything you need, everything you need is there on the boat. All the food you want, all the entertainment, the pools, COVID, lazing on the deck. Sick bags for when you throw up. It's, oh, it's amazing. I just don't get it. I I don't get the appeal. I don't get the appeal of that. But... I have to concede that when it comes to our spiritual lives, a cruise or a boat journey is actually a good analogy. Because spiritually, when we make a decision to follow Jesus, the journey or the pilgrimage, if you will, is the destination. That's the destination. The dreams that we have on the journey fuel our pilgrimage forward. I mean, isn't it true that just as one dream is realised, there's the next one. There's the next one already calling us onward and forward because the journey is the destination. Christian spirituality is about the pilgrimage, the ups and downs of life, the smooth water, the rough water, and allowing it all to shape that eternal part of us that will continue long after our journey on earth is over. When Jesus calls, the first and foremost call is to a relationship with Him. When Jesus called the 12 apostles, it said He called them, come and be with me. Come and be with me. Him. Come and live with me. Come and live a different kind of life. Walk a different kind of way. See with a different kind of vision. There's a different quality of life when you say yes to following Jesus. It's the greatest adventure you can ever take. Pastor Mark preached on this as well. And the adventure is the destination. There is never a point where you go, oh, I've made it. I've made it, I'm here, I've reached it. That will never come. The destination that I've been walking toward is here. Tick, awesome, I've made it. That will never happen on your spiritual journey. Paul, Paul speaks of pressing on. I've not obtained it yet. I've not obtained the fullness that I know is mine. Abraham was looking to a city. He prophetically saw something. He dreamt again and it compelled him forward. Truth is most natural journeys, they do have a destination unless you're on a cruise. But this one, our spiritual journey is actually more about the experiences that we have along the way, the dreams that we dream and the ones that we see realised, which are the result of this incredible, mysterious adventure we've undertaken after saying, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. In all of the Gospel accounts, which were written by different authors for different audiences, whether they were Jewish or Roman or Greek or persecuted Christians, there's a phrase that Jesus utters that's common to all. They record Jesus saying to people time and time again, follow me, follow me. That phrase, follow me, is recorded 19 times all throughout the Gospels. In Matthew 16, 24, Luke 9, 23, Mark 8, 34, he says, to be my disciple, you have to pick up 
your cross and follow me. In John, he says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Other times he says to Peter, just follow me. There are occasions like in Mark 2, 14, where he just passes by Matthew and he says, follow me. And he does. The thing is, no destination is ever given. None of them say, well, hang on, hang on, Jesus. Do you you have an itinerary? Is there an expected time of arrival? What can I expect on this journey? Although take up your cross kind of gives you a bit of a hint. But, you know, (laughs) they weren't following him to a place. They were just following him because he was captivating enough that no one needed any of that information. They just believed that with Jesus, life could be more than just existing, more than just collecting taxes for Matthew or catching fish for Peter. Jesus had captivated them and they wanted to know, what is it about you? When you speak, you call to my inner being. You call to that eternal part of me. I want more of that. I want more of that. The draw towards Jesus was so strong that all he had to say was follow me and whatever the path had in store, it didn't matter because the journey made sense when they walked with Him, the Lord is my shepherd, amen. When we say yes to following Jesus, we're saying yes to an adventure. It's kind of like getting on a boat and then getting out of the boat at certain points and walking around the boat on the water. But anyway, we're saying yes to the reality that the journey with Jesus is the destination. And it's about learning to live with Him, leaning into and experiencing His kingdom in greater and greater measure. So Horizon Church, as you're dreaming again, I want to show you just three simple things about our pilgrimage with Jesus that are common to all. And that might just help shape what you're hearing, seeing and leaning into. This Jesus boat, this Jesus pilgrimage takes you on a journey, but it can only begin, you only get on the boat once you are awakened to the revelation of Christ, right? And then along the way, the journey has these ongoing moments of discovering the reality, big R reality of His kingdom, big R reality of the truth. That truth then invites you, hey, you need to start walking in a different way, living a different way, worshipping in a different way. And then the third element I want to suggest on this journey is that when we are in Christ, we become partakers of God's very nature. We've been singing about the nature of God. That becomes part of who you are as well. And that then positions you to receive the promises of the kingdom coming on earth as they are in heaven. So awaken to Christ, discovering more of His truth and then experiencing the promises of God. That is what you can expect on this journey. And the dreams that God gives you will have all one or all of those aspects thread through them, both for your own lives and for the lives of those that you influence. Awaken, discover, experience. We see those three things all throughout the journeys that are recorded for us in the Bible. And I want to walk through some verses in Genesis and just take a snippet of the life of Abram, who becomes Abraham. And as we do, I want to show you these three aspects of the journey in his story. We're going to get into a little bit of Hebrew this morning. Is that okay? Great. Genesis chapter 15, we're going to start there. Sometime later... 
The Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eliezer of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir. You will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. At this point in the story, Abram had left his country when he was 75 years of age. He travelled through Egypt. He tells Sarai, that was her name before Sarah, to lie about who she was. It's always going to go well for you. Separated with Lot, he'd met Melchizedek, who blessed Abram. And now in chapter 15, he is having this vision that we have just read about. But in verse 6 is where I want to focus. It says here, Abram believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is the first time this word believe appears in our Bible. And it is the Hebrew word pronounced emena. Emena. Don't get the M and N around the wrong way. Some of you... Emena. That word means to support or make firm. Hebrews like to understand words with a picture. So the picture associated with this word is the strong arms of a parent supporting a child. So in the Hebrew language, this is a strong word. It's a word picture that suggests this faith has a firm foundation. It has substance. This is not blind faith. It's supported by some sort of evidence by what Abram has just seen or experienced. What was that? In Abram's case, what did he experience or see? What firmed up his faith to believe in a different way before? I want to make a suggestion to you here, and I think that I'm going to be able to support it with Paul's writing in the New Testament. I was pondering that verse, uh, the the word in verse 5, when it says, The Lord took Abram outside. One of the things that I do occasionally is a Hebrew um, scripture circle online with some scholars in America. I know, I'm a bit of a nerd, but I really enjoy that. And we were looking at this, and one of the scholars looked at me and he said, outside what? What did God take Abram outside of? And I said, the tent? He goes, no, 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 he's in a vision. He's having a vision. So what does God take you outside of when you are having an encounter with him? Just hold that. Hold that thought for a second. The word for vision here is only used four times in the Old Testament. And it means a vision in an ecstatic state. 
Ecstasis means to be outside of yourself. Two of the four times the word is used in the Old Testament, it's specifically used for a vision given by God and other time it's in Ezekiel and referred to false visions that had not come from him. The point is they are supernatural and they exist, have their origin in another realm. So I want to propose that the outside that God took Abram was was outside of measured time. Outside of time and into the eternal, timeless, heavenly realm. And then he says, look at the stars and count them. The word for count here comes from a word that means a book, a letter or a scroll. So what is God saying? He's saying, hey, Abram, I'm going to take you outside of time And now I want you to read the scroll that the stars have written. What might that letter say? Well, Psalm 19 helps us here. In the Passion, it says that it speaks of his story. Each day gushes out its message to the next, night by night whispering its knowledge to all, without a sound, without a word, without a voice being heard, yet all the world can hear It's echo. Everywhere its message goes out. Another word for message there is gospel. So everywhere its gospel is clearly read. What is the gospel? What is the good news of God? Is it not the message of Christ? There's been so much written about how the heavens reveal the gospel of God to humanity. In fact, theologians speak of creation as another book of truth. Paul tells us we can learn about God through what has been created. And all throughout the Psalms, we're told the heavens are telling His story. The the stars are proclaiming the good news of God to all of creation. Could it be that God took Abram outside of time into another realm, had him read the gospel, and then he believed in Christ? I mean, the stars were there before Abram was. And Christ had been slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus himself says in John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am. Is it possible that God took him outside of time and awakened a revelation of Christ within him? And that was the foundation upon which he was able to believe the promises of God? Paul, Paul helps me here in Galatians 3. He says, Abraham... Our father of faith, this is New Testament now, this is post-Jesus, he's writing to Christians who believe in Christ, believed God and the substance of his faith released God's righteousness to him. So the true children of Abraham have the same faith as their father. And the scripture prophesied that on the basis of faith, God would declare Gentiles to be righteous. Read this, God announced the good news ahead of time to Abraham. Hang on a second. What did Paul just tell us there? God announced the good news to Abraham. Looks like he did see Christ. The substance of his faith that supported his profession of belief was indeed the truth of Christ. He'd seen the truth of the gospel and that birthed this kind of faith in him. Remember, this is the first time we've seen this particular word used. This is a different kind of response now that we see from Abram. He'd believed God before in one sense. He'd left his country. He'd heard from God, off he goes. But now after this, he had emunah, emunah kind of faith. This was an encounter 
with the truth of God's story that began to shape his life in a profound way. And if you are on pilgrimage with Christ, one of the things that you will be experiencing on this journey is an unfolding revelation of Christ and who he is. That fuels your deepening faith. That's the truth that you are encountering. Let's quickly look at this word truth. I get excited about this. This is the, this is the academic in me. The Hebrew word for truth is emet. Sounds a little bit like emena, doesn't it? Well, in fact, they're intimately linked. They have the same root, which is M, which is where we also get the word, the word amen, let it be so. There's so much insight that we can receive here. In English, we, we lose it a little bit. Faith can kind of feel a little bit airy, a little bit like unanchored, without substance. But for the Hebrew, truth and faith arise from the same foundation. The substance of both is the same. That's why Jesus in Acts chapter 1 gave the disciples many convincing proofs of his resurrection. Their encounter with that truth strengthened their faith. So for the Hebrew, truth wasn't a concept to be studied. It wasn't objective and and static. No, it was dynamic. It was living. Truth was involved in the formation of one's own character and, and heart. And it will be working towards the restoration of the world. So something is true in the sense that you are living it. You are being with it. You are partaking of it. So when you are on pilgrimage with Jesus, you exist inside the truth that he offers. And that truth then informs your decisions and the direction and the dreams that you have. One other thing I have to show you, truth in Hebrew is spelt using the first, the middle and the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which indicated that truth encompasses all things and it endures from the beginning to the end. But if you remove a left, from the word, which is the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, then it spells dead, which is obviously the opposite of life. The letter Aleph is what the Hebrews call the ineffable letter. It represented the glory of God. So if you try to ignore or suppress God in your understanding of truth, you end up with death. Jesus says... I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, I am the beginning and I am the end, I am the Aleph and I am the Omega. Truth is found in Christ. The Spirit is known as the Spirit of truth. And John 16, 13, Jesus says, when the truth-giving Spirit comes, He will unveil the reality of every truth within you. So the journey then is to know more and more and more of the truth, who is a person, And as we get to know Him, we're building our faith as we receive greater revelation of who He is and who we are in Him. And then we can dream again. Amen. This is also reflected in Abram's story. So he has received the truth of Christ. He's received a promise regarding his inheritance. And interestingly, his inheritance wasn't a destination. It was a people. It was a people, but he's relying on his own understanding. How's this going to happen? I don't know. I don't have an heir. And so in chapter 16, we see Abram and Sarai becoming really frustrated with the fact that their promise was just taking too long. And so they take things into their own hands and Ishmael is born. 
In chapter 17, we see this next step on the journey, which is discovering how to walk in a different way. Verse 1 and 2, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. He said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Walk before me. What is he saying? Effectively, he's saying, hey, Abram, you need to change the way you are walking. Walking in biblical language is a metaphor for how you live your life. It's time to learn how to walk differently. The word for walk here means to walk reflexively, to be reflexive or conscious or mindful of where you are placing your foot, how you are walking, why you are walking that way. And to walk before God means be face to face with me face to face with me. This was an invitation to walk intimately with God, face to face, aware only of the Lord's gaze, be close to His heart, remain in this place of intimacy and allow that position to determine how do you live. But it doesn't end there. The verse goes on to say, then you will be blameless. That word is to mean, which means without blemish or spotless. The root of that word means as a sacrificial lamb. And in the language, that is not a completed sentence. So the sacrifice is not dead. So basically he's saying, walk before me face to face as a living sacrifice. Change the way you walk, Abram. Be very careful where you put your foot. And in the midst of it all, offer your life as a sacrifice to me. Now that might have been very easy for him to do after he had received the promise, right? But God is saying, no, 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 I want you to do that. I want you to walk. I want you to be a living sacrifice, pour it all out, lay it all down before you have received your promise. If you have had a dream, if you have a promise from the Lord, an encounter that you've had, a word for your journey, and you're getting a bit frustrated, maybe you need to walk in a different way. Romans 12. It says, beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvellous mercies? Surrender yourself to God. Be His sacred living sacrifice. This is your genuine expression of worship. So how are you walking? Is your life one of worship, of sacrifice? Remember, by definition, a sacrifice is only something that costs you something. And earth This pilgrimage is the only place you will be able to express the substance of your faith, demonstrate what you have seen, the truth that has changed everything and praise Him in the midst of circumstances that actually bring you pain. Because afterwards, when we're with the Lord, all tears are gone, all pain is gone, and then we'll just be worshipping freely. But there is something about the fragrance of a sacrifice that's offered in the midst of a pilgrimage that has ups and downs. The last thing, he has this revelation of Christ. He changes the way he walks. And then we read in Genesis 17, Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name Abraham I've made you a father of a multitude of nations. So he changes his name from Abram to Abraham. What did he do? He added the word ha, Abraham. 
he added an aspect of his own name to Abram. In Hebrew, God's name wasn't spoken, it was breathed. There were four letters to his name and ha was the central letter. So he says, I'm going to call you Abraham. He adds the ha, the central syllable of his own name, his own nature to Abraham and Sarai and they became Abraham and Sarah. He puts himself into their names. Now, Abraham is living and declaring every time he speaks his own name, God has placed something of himself within me. God has placed something of his nature within me. Life is now lived in the plural for Abraham. Paul in Galatians speaks about the fact that Abraham was the father of faith for both Jew and Gentile, making him our model for living the with God life. The ha of God was now present in his very essence. Every time he spoke his own name, he spoke the name of God. How would that have changed his thinking, the way he walked, how he felt about himself? Well, I don't know, but then Isaac is born. He no longer had to work out or try to fulfil the promise in his own strength. The very breath of God was within him and he lived in union with him. Abraham saw it, humanity lost it, and then God took on flesh to restore that kind of life, relationship and intimacy he had with God to us. Jesus in John chapter 17, the chapter that drove him to the cross, he says, God, let them be one. Let them be where we are. Add the ha to their lives. It is as though God anointed the clay again. He breathed his ruach in Adam. Then there was the fall. And this was a shadow of how God was going to restore intimacy and power and bring heaven on earth once again. We are the children of Abraham. And when you receive Christ, you receive the ha of God. And the promise is birthed. You see, earthy Abram, he still produced. He still created something new. But it was on earth as it was on earth. There was nothing divine about trying to create something in his own strength with his own understanding. We all have the ability to create things. We reflect God's image after all. He is the creator. But what are you partnering with to create it? When Abram receives the breath of God again, all of a sudden, it is on earth as it was in heaven. Second Peter says his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and ex- excellence. And we have become partakers of that divine nature, of that divine nature. You can experience, partake of the divine nature. You can say, you know what? I might just be a bit earthy, but I am one with God. I might be dust, but, and my frame is clay, but the breath within me is divine. I'm a partaker of the divine nature. What changes when we say this, when we breathe out the truth of who we are? That's the journey we're on. The journey is the destination in Him. One last thing. Abraham was called to a land, a destination in one sense, yes, but when he was caught up, in that divine vision, when God took him outside and he read the story of the stars, he said, what do you see? Descendants, people, the children he saw, 
are actually you and I right now. That's what he saw. And all those that have gone before us. We are Abraham's dream. It wasn't really about the land, the physical place he was called to go. The land was secondary. The primary promise was you and I. And likewise, we are the inheritance of the Lord. That's the promise that drove Christ to the cross. That's the promise, the promise of you and I, that we might become the image of God that we are, fully expressed, fully free, uniquely us, free, whole, powerful, living in union with Him, living in what Abraham saw all those centuries ago. And in doing so, we testify to a world that longs to believe that the faith that we have actually has substance, that it can literally change everything. Amen? Amen. And so this morning, I wanna ask you if you have heard the call of Jesus to follow me, and maybe you have not yet responded to that call. Maybe you're saying, yeah, I've heard that. I'm not sure if this is kind of real. And yet here I am. And there's something within me (laughs) that just kind of responds to what it is that I've seen and experienced and felt this morning. I'm telling you, that is the call of the Lord, the call of your Creator, saying, hey, why don't you follow me? Why don't you come live a with God kind of life? Why don't you learn how to walk differently and live differently and see differently and worship differently? And it means that the ups and downs of life, we all have them, whether we're with the Lord or not, but the ups and downs can actually be used to shape the part of me that is going to continue long after this earthly journey is over. And so can I just ask, let's just have every eye closed. This is a personal, intimate moment with the Lord. If you're here this morning and you're saying, I can hear the call, I can hear the Spirit of God saying, come on, why don't you follow? Why don't you follow Christ? Why don't you get to know your Creator? Why don't you step into living in a different way? I would love to pray a prayer with you this morning. In fact, Let's just pray that prayer right now, afresh for some of us and maybe for the first time for some of you. Let's just say, Lord Lord Jesus Christ, I believe You to be the Son of God and the Saviour of the world. I acknowledge my sin. I receive Your forgiveness and I accept You into my heart this morning. I'm going to get on the Jesus boat. Now come fill me with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd love to know if you've prayed that for the first time this morning. There's a gift that um, we'd love to give you and um, just have a bit of a chat. But just so we know where you are, would you mind putting your hand up where you are if you prayed that for the first time this morning? Is there anybody in the building who prayed that? A hand over there. God bless you. Any other hands in this place? Pray that for the first time. You're saying, yeah, I've, I've heard the call and I'm, I'm making a change. Thank you so much. That's so awesome. Best decision you'll ever 
ever make. Let's stand this morning. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more info about Horizon Church, please visit our website at hz.church. Have a fantastic day and we hope to see you again soon.